On this episode of Progressive Polaris, the group finishes our conversation on Queensryche's Rage for Order. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Tom Corcoran as we finish out our conversation of the seminal Queensryche album, Rage for Order. All right, gentlemen. So as promised, welcome back to part two of the Rage for Order discussion. It's uh, it's a little bit ironic that after my intro in last episode, I believe it was immediately after the intro, Paul very confidently declared that we would not finish Rage for Order in one sitting. He was, of course, absolutely correct. <laughs> We did mm-hmm. not finish in one setting, but sadly, Paul is unable to join us tonight to finish out this conversation. So, so you know, mm. uh, we feel very sad about that, and we hope that Paul is is very quickly back on his feet. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, a sad little set of, of circumstances. But we have waited so long for Rage for Order that um, you know. We feel the need to finish this out, and so that way, next week, we can move on to the next item up for bid, being Operation Mindcrime. But we got uh, some good Paul in the first half, though. Yeah, we, we certainly do, absolutely. And, <laughs> I, I, had some, uh, I did have some, some technical back and forth with Paul via text today um, around the, the use of the Doug Pinnock bass pedal, um, just trying to get some, some insights there, so, you know. Nice, yeah. nice. As I mentioned before we came on air, very, very sadly, I have not been able to find my physical copy, excuse me, of the remastered edition of Rage for Order, so I still do not have all the hyperbole to read into the record. But in case I do find it by the time I edit, I will leave just a little marker here so that I can insert some of the hyperbole and you two gentlemen can kind of ooh and ah and sort of scratch your head and say, (laughs) wow, that's absolutely amazing that someone would say that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, we'll see if, if I ever find that, but I guess, are there any other sort of general thoughts on the record that that absolutely that you guys have sort of come across in, in the past week since we had our first discussion? Yeah, this just seems like the the easiest band for us to do and yet the hardest band for us to do and, and, and kind of the definition of why we started this whole thing. Uh, I mean, I could say that about three different Yes albums and two Rush albums and a few King's X albums and, and whatnot. But but this is, this is just, this feels like a, like a palaver vacation. This is just too easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is, right? Because, and, and you're absolutely right, Ken, in the very beginning of this, 
you know, at, when I pitched the idea to the whole group, as we've talked about in Palaver Lore, I had a full schedule, and but but when I was sort of hatching the idea, there were several sort of key albums that needed to be discussed because either we had talked about them so much when we were younger, or there had been a lot of trash talk back and forth, you know, over the years in between. But whatever the case, um, certainly Rage for Order and Mind Crime were you know, at the top of, of my my list in terms of priority. And it would be interesting to go back and look at that list to see where I slotted Queensryche in um, just to, to see how that original flow was. But, but yeah, this is... Because, again, as we talked about in the last episode, we spent a lot of time listening to and gushing over this record when we were you know, what, 17, 18, whatever the case may be. Um, and it, it does, in some regards, feel like a vacation. I mean, even to the fact when, when the original idea was pitched, I don't know if you guys remember any of that initial conversation, you know, our friend Jay, who has, you know, obviously appeared on certain episodes, this was one of the ones that he had sort of tagged that he was willing to participate in. So... Yeah, I mean it, it. It garnered attention, broad attention in in Palaverland from the beginning. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I want to step up to read into the record some very bloviated bloviations from Ooh. Kim Harris. Okay. Uh, in lieu of your record insert, here's what I what I have to offer from from, from the book. Building an Empire, the Story of Queensryche. Kim Harris explains, When we got to the Rage for Order record, I had some major battles with the record label about sales because all of their numbers showed that this band would sell only 360,000 to perhaps 375,000 copies total in the U.S. They figured they would have advanced sales pre-orders around 30,000. These are the numbers their sales division came up with. I was sitting in a meeting with these guys in Los Angeles and New York, and I'm telling them that we can do better than this. I know we can. I laid out an entire program, additional billing, longer dates, discounts, and promotions. I came up with the numbers I thought we could do. I thought we could do 80,000 in pre-orders. They started laughing at me. I'm in a room with 12 guys who've been doing this for something like 20 years. I told them we were going to sell close to a million of these records. Rage for order before this is all done. We sold 89,000 copies in pre-orders and the label went nuts. <laughs> the album was released on June 26, 1986 and immediately sold better than its predecessor. Initially, it was... 486,000 to 487,000 copies. Kim Harris recalls. Then it jumped up to gold at half a million and stayed there a while. Rage for Order hit number 47 on the US Billboard charts, number 58 on the German charts, 31 on the Dutch, 47 on Swedish, 66 in UK, 85 in Canada. Gonna Get Close to You went to number 91 on the UK singles charts 
and had frequent radio and MTV play as well. Very nice. Really I mean, it's, it's it's pretty impressive that it charted that high in all those countries, too. But I guess, you know, part of the, the tale that I didn't get to read because I can't find my insert has to do with, you know, them being in Europe, I guess, in prior to this um, and, and having some of the experience. So they, they had exposure in Europe. So maybe it makes perfect sense. We had talked about this last week. A lot of their success came from Japan, actually. Yeah. And uh, it, it's sort of weird. Like when we talk about bands, I mean, like we don't care where they're from. I mean, most of the bands that we talk about are, you know, from, from Europe, but like, it doesn't really matter to us. Uh, but, and, and it's sort of like we realize it just with the exception of you know, King's X so far. Um, this is really the, um, the only band that the from America, right? H have we done anything? Uh, any other bands from America other than King's X? I don't think so. We actually haven't okay. done much from North America. Um, well, we did Toad, if you count Toad, but not right. really in the same vein. Right, right. But uh, so it's interesting that you know a lot of the European bands find success in America, and now we're looking at the other direction. And now Queensryche is getting a lot of success in Japan. Yeah. From, you know, especially the warning. I know I, I had a, I had this, you know, back in the day, I had this VHS. I might have seen it with some of you guys. It was a VHS of the warning for, uh, in, in Japan. And I mean, and this was on the warning tour, and it was a really big arena. I mean, maybe it was only like 10,000 people, but I mean, it was, that, that was a lot. Um, I don't know exactly how many people it was, but it was a it, it, it was a large venue, and I was saying to myself, "Geez, you know that these guys were huge over there." I mean, people were just like freaking out. It, it was interesting how you know bands really were metal bands, and most of the bands that we listen to find their people, find their fans somewhere, and it's never in the most convenient place. Yeah, it's always somewhere else. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, didn't didn't Genesis start out that way? Didn't they have like some large Dutch following or something like that, or Belgian, if I recall the story correctly? In, in the I very think, early I, early I stages, it was yeah, 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 yeah. So if we. If we look at what we have, so we have side two in front of us tonight, which includes Neuer Regal, Chemical Youth, London, Screaming in Digital, and I Will Remember. Now, all of these, with the exception of Chemical Youth, list DeGarmo as their primary songwriter. Um, Neuer Regal is DeGarmo Tate, Chemical Youth is Tate Wilton. London is DeGarmo Tate Wilton. Screaming in Digital is DeGarmo Tate Wilton. And I Will Remember is DeGarmo. We, we already talked for, you know, what, two hours on side one? <laughs> I, think, I, I think in some ways side two is even better. <laughs> I mean. Wow. I agree with you on that. I, I was thinking that earlier today. I was like, I, I really think side two is a, is a better side. I, and and 
I mean, better in the sense of it's better than something that's already phenomenally good, right? <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, this entire album, and and this is one of those this is one of those albums, and, and I mentioned it in the last episode. From the moment I fell in love with this record, I can listen to it multiple times and love it every time i can not listen to it for a year or two years and pull it out and put it in and i'm instantly as in love with it as i ever was i've never skipped anything on this you know and it's one of those things it it's a 45 minute album which is like the perfect length anyway but it it always just seems to fly by because it's all so good and quite frankly since we started you know, since I started preparing for this segment, I have done grievous damage to whatever hearing I have left listening to this and Mind Crime. Um, <laughs> whether it's in my car or at home, I'm not joking when I say that. Um, I have listened to this record so often and so loudly that my tinnitus will act up after I'm done. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? I'm willing to make that trade off <laughs> because it's just wow. there there's so much here and it's it's just it's meant to be appreciated that way. Now, I do have a little beef and and I you know, it's one of those things where I don't know if I've spent my entire life misremembering something or something changed somewhere and I missed it. But I could have sworn that Noya Regal was spelled R-E-G-A-L, not E-L. But everything I see right now um, on the interwebs, whether it be on Wikipedia or Spotify or wherever, suggests that it's spelled R-E-G-E-L. My actual, my original CD version is out in the car. And if I wasn't so lazy, I would have gotten up and, and retrieved it before this. But apparently I'm too lazy to even do that. Um, and, and the only reason I say that is it, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's always been fun to me when, because Neue is, is a German form of the word new. And if it was Regal, um, spelled R-E-G-A-L, it basically would be, it would essentially translate to something akin to new bookshelf <laughs> or new shelf. And which, you know, just makes me kind of laugh. Now, when I read the lyrics for this and when I listen to it, it it actually, it probably should translate something along the lines of New Order. Because again, this is, this is Queensryche sort of starting, or, or I guess continuing from the warning, this idea of, of reworking society in some fashion. And I'm not suggesting that they're actual revolutionaries, but I mean, certainly this is going to culminate in in the next album, this idea of of you know um, fighting back against whatever order exists and creating something that works better um, for certain people, I guess. Um, that, that's just that's my own little little you know side thing that has to do with this. It, it really doesn't matter. the you know, when you think about, heavy metal in in this time period that you had to have some sort of 
or you didn't have to, but it, there, there's certainly some cachet in having some sort of German influence. So the fact that they went far enough to at least use a full German word, very, very cool, after putting the umlauts on their Y, obviously. So I just, <laughs> I, I put that out there um, as, as a point of interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll, find, we'll put something in the notes. Um, anyone who can find an original pressing of the of the album, I know on my iTunes, it's spelled R-G-E-L. Yeah, um, see, so, I'm, and, and again, I'm sure that I'm just misremembering for whatever reason, but it's all good. Um, it, it's probably also new royalty, regal, right? But whatever, I'm, I'm getting fixated on something that really, really isn't important because what is important is just how <laughs> off the charts fantastic this song is. From whoa, whoa, whoa. But how is it pronounced in the song itself? It's, it's Neuer Regal. Regal. Yeah. But he doesn't do the Neuer. I mean, he says, just... he says Neuer Regal. Okay. Okay. It is how yeah. I hear it. But, but if you're reading it in German, it's Neuer. Okay. And, and I mean, if, if you think about it, you can, you can sort of imagine that second syllable in there. I'm not saying it is there, but you can imagine it being there. <laughs> but this is All what right. happens when, you know, I've been doing Duolingo for German for a couple of years. Um, I just become fixated on, on stupid shit. From the opening, and, and again, I don't own this record on vinyl. I have never flipped over the vinyl to get to this. This always just flows um, directly from from Surgical Strike. But the opening, it, it's just, it melts my face right off. When Rockenfeld comes in with the toms off that, that opening riff, and then you get mm-hmm. the chimes mm-hmm. in there... Yeah. Oh my God. It's just like, it's so good. And then even something, and, and we've talked a little bit about this last weekend, right? Some things that, that can be, or generally are, or could be very gimmicky somehow just fit perfectly in here. And the megaphone vocals on the verses, I think is a perfect example of that. You know, a lot of people have tried that, and sometimes it's cool, and sometimes it's not, or whatever. Um, you know, but but here it's just, oh, yes. This was before Cher, goddammit. But after Roger Waters, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There so you again, go. you know, I, I do think, it. you know, this... Is this another example of you know a nod of the head to to the influence of the wall on on this band? I think I, I could make that argument. You know, for me, this is almost like the origin story of Doctor X. Is is how I've come to sort of accept this in my brain. This is is very interesting. When I hear this lately, um especially after I have read about well the sound design that they did in in preparation for this album these verses are so creative I mean all the little nuances all the the sound design sort of mixed in with the music and um, just give me a second to like go off or like no on, go. on something 
when I uh, am sound designing, say, a horror film, or I am writing music for a horror film, I have a discussion with a director, and I say, you know, there, there's probably a point where I should, if I'm sound designing, I should, you know, talk to the composer, because there are several things that I can be doing to achieve the same thing that the music is achieving and vice versa. And there are all these like weird sounds that you can make by pulling strings and, 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 and bending things and like, like weird orchestral sounds that, that, that can create a certain mood that, that, that creates more of a sound than, than, than an actual tone. And when I, I listen, especially to the verses of this song, I'm just like, listening to all these things going like wow is that a sound effect or is that part of uh, is that an instrument and and i'm like okay is there a where did they blend in the the sound effect here and i'm and it's 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 so interesting i actually feel like i'm watching uh listening to like a modern day like Blade bradbury thing mm. because there's <laughs> especially with it's it's so theatrical and, oh, yeah. and Jeff Tate is so um, descriptive and there's just so many weird things going on and disconcerting bends and all these like weird keyboard like pulses that kind of come in and, and like uh, mixed with the sound effects. It, it's really like you're really being thrown into this world. And um, I, this song absolutely blows my mind. I mean, <laughs> you have so many creative things going on. And then, I mean, the song just kicks ass when, I mean, the chorus comes in, you're just like, can this get any better? I mean, it's just, it's, it's like Christmas morning times 10. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it's unbelievable. It's just unflippin' believable. And I, I, I listen to the song and I'm like, wow, I mean, th this band has a lot going on right now. And, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just really impressed with this. As I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the lyrics for this, and, and again, I've always fixated. When I made the comment about seeing this as the origin story of Doctor X, I really always base that around the second verse, which says, and I love this, and this has some of those sound design elements that you're talking about, Tom, going into that. I will light the way for us to find order of a new kind. Join us on the stay. The road is mine. Poets line in a rhyme of silence gathered from the winter air. I love the way Tate delivers that line. Warms the children's eyes they see. The time is near for the signs. And then it goes into the chorus. I can hear the chimes ringing for you, for me. I can see your eyes, your hands joining with me. I can feel it's time. Come together, hold the light, keep the flame. We can't let this world remain the same. Mm. But... As I'm looking at this now, I go back to the first verse, the megaphone verse that I referenced earlier. Reach for a new horizon, setting sights on a circuit scream. Hail the new arrival on. Static signs from a distant wanderer fill the night. The air nights are never seen. Face the electric time shock now. No, it's not a dream anymore. Is Dr. Mm -hmm. X an alien? I ask you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and 
And I say that with my tongue firmly in my cheek, but it's a fun little idea that I'm just kind of geeking on as we're talking about it, especially when you consider some of the celestial aspects of I Will Remember. So just putting that out there. Okay. Um, both New Regal and I Will Remember are primarily DeGarmo compositions. Uh, I believe Tate probably did all the words for Noya Regal, uh, but I will remember as exclusively DeGarmo, which, which, which fascinates me. And if we had to lean to one side of the stage or the other, obviously being a prog podcast we lean towards the digarmo complex kind of mm-hmm. you know crafting that he does but i'm quickly becoming the wilton advocate in the group um i i like the contrast between noyo regal and chemical youth we are rebellion yeah um uh and this this comes up real heavy in the next album um that that, that, that need for contrast. If if we had an entire album that was, let, let's see, The Whisper, Killing Words, Noya Regal, and I Will Remember, it'd be a little heavy. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm tipping my hat to the, the next song already, Chemical Youth, We Are Rebellion. It's kind of the really fun punk rock songs in between the heavy stuff. (laughs) That's, that's true. And, you know, again, I think, um, if I look at this, yeah. So, so Tate gets writing credit on chemical youth as well. So here again, I think, you know, this is, I'm, I'm interpreting this as Jeff starting to hone some of his ideas because this idea of, of chemical youth, we are rebellion, it, it really fits into some of the, the larger themes, obviously, in Mind Crime, where, you know, Dr. X is using, among other means, chemical means to control his, his agents, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, and I think, I guess we've, we've moved into chemical youth and, you know, I, I do think the, the contrast is very enjoyable here, but I, you know, I, I can't help but listen to a lot of this and sort of see the signposts, you know, pointing us ahead. Okay. Crafting the backing vocals. Um, so now that we've transitioned to, to chemical youth, lead me, <laughs> hear me, yeah. save me, free me. Um, not not that much different from "Take All of the Flame," really, in, in in the very deliberate delivery of those backing vocals. But oh my, does this set the stage for mind crime? It really does. And I love the sort of call and response aspect to those. So yes. lead me, the leftist cry as the right subsides. Um, hear me, the media mouth is open wide. Save me, success is our hunger we need to feed. Free me, we will not lose to their anarchy. And, you know, here again, 
Jeff Tate's delivery of those responses is absolutely delightful and, dare I say, perfect. Let's let's look at the, the second verse, if we want to call it that. Show me. The wave of 80s is number three. I don't know what the hell that means, but okay. Praise me. Our religion is technology. Change me. Alterations for the stigmatized. And help me. For the cause, would you cross that line? With the exception of the unknown wave of the 80s. I mean, that's like, you know, mind crime mantra just kind of laid out for you there, right? Yeah, I mean, alterations for the stigmatized aren't, isn't particularly descriptive for me. That's awkward. <laughs> um, I, it, it, <laughs> there, there, there are so many lyrics that go over my head on this album. I gotta say, if there is one album in the in the in the catalog that is tough to decipher, it's this one. Um, yeah, because I, I I think a lot of their ideas aren't fully formed. They're they they're starting to coalesce, and and, and I think they're starting to get some idea, but. They haven't really pulled it together, and I think they're kind of all. So it looks like they're all over the place, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, this album is is, is rife with malapropisms because I can I can sing anything over top of any of these verses, <laughs> and he's, there's so much delay in chorus on a lot of these vocals. I could be saying anything, but it just it just works. It it, I mean, it, it does. I think about that with with with. with it doesn't matter in Queensryche if the vocals are overprocessed. It doesn't matter if they're using simulated acoustic guitars instead of real acoustic guitars. It doesn't matter to me what they're doing to the drums. Um, you know, isn't there one point in this song where they where they put the entire band through a flanger just to get out of the guitar solo and into the <laughs> third verse, like? It makes it very difficult to cover the song if you ever want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I mean, it's suspension of disbelief. You know, I love it when a movie director just says, "Yeah, this isn't real. We're we're, we're going to lay this down for the audience, and we're going to suspend disbelief, and they're along for the ride, or they're not." And if they're not fucking, they can't take a joke. And I feel like Queensryche is that level of of processing. Like, like, like this is not your dad's Judas Priest. This is not hell bent for leather. This is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Th this is <laughs> this is the new wave era of prog metal, and you better be on board with all the shit they're going to use. Well, well, speaking of this being hard to follow, uh, it was funny. I was going over the lyrics today. And that line that you guys both referred to, um, show me the wave of 80s is number three. I said to myself, God, I have no idea what that means. I'm like, well, at least Joe will know later on today. I can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, you didn't even know. <laughs> I, have, I have no earthly idea. Sorry about that. That's um, okay. Well, it'll be a to be continued. We'll, we'll, figure, we'll, it we'll figure it out. Now, an interesting thing about this, um, because obviously musically, there's 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 sort of a militaristic anthem aspect to this this song. Not just the lyrics, but the music has that sort of feel to it. 
Now, we've, we talked in the last episode that on the demos for this record is a, a track that was called Rage for Order that eventually became Anarchy X, if I recall correctly, on the next album. Now, that, that has, you know, the that sort of snare cadence, very marchy, militaristic type feel to it. So I, I, I have to ask myself the question at this point is, was that not included on this because two of those tracks on one album, presumably rather close together, would have been too much? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. Well, mm. I don't know if I have an answer for you, but I, I will say that I've said in the past how amazing this is that Rage for Order is such an incredible album and it's so different from Mind Crime. I mean, it, I, I feel like when they finished this, they just erased the chalkboard and started again. But with your point, Joe, with, with you know hints of Doctor X and, and some of the lyrical things, uh, there are a couple points on this side where I'm like, ah, okay, mind crime. There's a, and the, um, there's a couple things coming up where actually, if I close my eyes. And I didn't know I was in that space. I would have been like, "Oh, this is, is this from Minecraft?" Mm. But it's just like a, like a few seconds, like four yeah. or five seconds. I, I still am in absolute just wonder about this because how they able to achieve so many great things with with a certain style and then go in, into something else. But getting back in particular to uh, Chemical Youth, the the theatrics of this is such. And I'm glad you brought up the wall, Joe, because you, you, you both probably did. But, um, in my head, every time I hear this song, I hear kids singing this. Um, we really? are rebellion and they're singing. And I, I have one of my side things is I do little things with cartoons and little animations. And I have uh, little scripts for kids and i have a, a bunch of stuff so i have like all sorts of like craziness in my head all the time <laughs> but when i when i hear this song like the it, i'm seeing a show and i'm seeing kids on stage um singing singing this song um and it's just it's just so vivid this this song and, and the and the and the theatrics around it and i'm a, I'm a complete bro broken record because i mean a lot of the stuff you know is is so theatrical but um <laughs> you know there is hints of the wall here as well and not so much in the actual sound but you know to me you could really bring i mean okay so the chemical youth so i mean it's not that far fetched that they're children but to me um this is this could be part of the wall where where where, where the kids are singing along because I, I hear this very vividly in my head every every time I hear the song. I'm starting to understand why Quipsters didn't get signed, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I the Quipsters and Spooksters are singing this song. That's what I'm. That's what I have. That's what I'm seeing. One of the the ideas for a poster. Is that the Spooksters are a band, right? And I actually have this idea where there's a band shot of the Spooksters doing like rock poses, 
And in the background, it says, we are rebellion. <laughs> and and I, I, I have this whole idea where we are rebellion. I'm taking my a whole different meaning. Like we're going to be rebellious and we're going to study and we're going to, or we're going to be rebellious. and We're going to do good things. So rebellion is actually sort of a reversal. Nice. But so one day you're, you're going to see um, a spooks poster. It's going to have that title. And I'm going to have to explain. Yes, I actually stole this from Queensbury. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to be in your pitch meeting. Anything you can do to, <laughs> to stream us into that thing. Oh my God! Uh, All right. Can, can uh, I mean, can you see me on Shark Tank trying to explain this to <laughs> some of the people? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a uh, you know Queensrÿche. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, okay. Um, I'm really juiced on the middle of this before we get away from this song. Uh, if we don't stand together, we stand to lose the future. I mean, th th it, there are just these great things that happen in the fast-paced Queensryche tunes where it's already good. It's already great. It doesn't necessarily have to go somewhere. And then it goes just to the perfect spot yeah with a perfect amount of energy and you know and we've used the word perfect maybe too much for this this record but it it is perfect all these little decisions whether they be you know from the original songwriting whether they be producer decisions uh, you know however it is somehow all of the the right decisions were made when this album was being put together and it's just it's remarkable they worked with the wall producer, James Guthrie. I brought this up in the previous episode uh, on the warning over in the UK. And, and, and the secret message that he told them, it's like, yeah, guys, you need a good story. You need a concept album. But the real secret is you need a megaphone. That's right. That, that's what they learned from that guy. That's all it takes. Shall we move on to some, some spooky vampire story? I like it. Now, it. I love London. And, and my first note literally says, I love this song, with love being all in very large capital letters. <laughs> you know, it London was one of the first ones that really, really got me. And, you know, with all this, you know... It, all the all the things that have happened in the 2000s around and, and even a little bit before that but but certainly in the 2000s with the twilight thing and all this young adult vampire love and everything else here's Queensryche again blazing trails long before um anything was going on i really should have looked up when anne rice was publishing her interview with the vampire series i suspect it was maybe sometime around this there was a mention in the in the blurb in the booklet for the CD that I can't get my hands on right now that mentions something about again them being in clubs in like Germany with BDSM and vampires so I don't know exactly what was going on in clubs in Germany in the early 80s um, but <laughs> whatever the mm -hmm. case may be it manifests itself in this most absolutely beautiful, wonderful, and engaging song for me. Um, I do need to dive into the lyrics here because these lyrics 
just really, I think, are sublime in the way they're put together. But before I do that, and Tom, this goes to something that you had sort of alluded to in the last song. There are sections in here where what I describe in my notes as the classic Queensryche clean guitar sound shows up. Now, that clean guitar sound isn't going to become classic in the next album necessarily, but it will play such a huge role in the two albums after that. Um, but it shows up here pretty obviously, and you're like, oh, I know that sound, and I love that sound. It's absolutely right. great. <laughs> One of my notes for this solo section of London is one of those spots where I listen to it and I just hear mind time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this, I'm like, okay, this is the same band. Because, <laughs> you know, there are times where I'm like, wow, how, how could this be the same band? But I'm like, this is, this is um, very interesting to see the, the growth of the band because um, this sound is, is, is so wonderful and, it, and it's just so Queensryche and it's you know, definitely good enough to put in another album. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think this is exactly the sort of thing, like, you know, I've, I've, since we've been doing this, I've always sort of imagined a series of, of books written around these classic albums, but in our own sort of peculiar way, because when you say things like that, right, Tom, I would love to to know and have insight into, you know, when was London written and recorded? Was it late in the session? And in that they sort of used that to leapfrog, you know, they had made some, they they found a sound or they, they found something that worked that they used for the next time? Or, you know, was it just something that they recorded early on, but they there was something about that song that juiced them as a band that they ended up, you know, like how, what, what is that relation? What, where are those threads from, from one thing to a next? But, you know, I'm never going to write those books. So, um, but it's a great idea. Well, I mean, we'll have to get one of these guys on the palaver and ask them. Well, there you go. So let's, let's very quickly go through some of these lyrics. Cause I, again, I just, I think they're so phenomenal. It was November 4th. I last held your hand. It seemed our time would last forever. You said, don't ever leave. I thought you'd never go. I wish I could just remember your name. You're just a memory now, like all the ones before, but with your pain, I've had to suffer. Your eyes alight with flame as the picture burns. I hear the screams from long ago. They cry remember, blood-red streaks on velvet throats at night. The streetlights fanned our trail of fame through London. London. Oh. And then the second verse is, actually, I guess it's not the verse. It's probably a bridge-type section. Oh, there's some things in life I could never face. The worst is being alone. And, you know, again, the emotive quality that Tate brings to all of these lyrics is is absolutely gut-wrenching, right? Like, you, you feel this character's pain. Sometimes I wish I could have taken your place, my love. You know I don't want to live forever. Oh, let me see you standing in the shadows once again. We'll walk the streets like long ago. And you get those, those huge 
you know, gang vocal London's coming in and, mm-hmm. you know, it, we, we haven't uttered the phrase too many Jeff Tates, have we? No. Because is there such a thing? No. At this point, there is not. <laughs> or, or, or gang vocals, for, yeah. for that matter. You know, there are other albums of this era where, you know, we, we would and we have raked them over the coals on the whole gang vocal thing. But right. on this record, it's the right it's choice. Like, Give me more. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just not enough. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, my God. This is red meat. This is great. Um, the anybodylistening.net site Ooh. Has, a, has a June 2019 article attributed to Brian Heaton, who is a contributor to the book I'm reading. What's really cool is that they they say uh, a vision ahead of its time, the three-tiered theme of Queen's Rage for Order. They talk about media influences, Orwellian, 1984, Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles, which actually, I think, around 76 is when that kind of started. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it was well ingrained in the culture by the time this was all happening in the 80s. Specific to every song has a blurb on this page, but specific to London, this is a very, very personal song about an experience Jeff Tate had in London while recording the warning. Its meaning was highly debated among fans. To my knowledge, Tate has never really come clean about exactly what went down, but he has said it was a mind opening experience that permanently changed him. Wow. Lyrics clearly show it was about a relationship of some kind. And the words also revisit the vampire elements from earlier in the album. So uh, this is Walk in the Shadows Part Two. Okay. There you and, go. And yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes a certain amount of sense. In fact, I, I want to say I had some sort of of a vampire note on Walk in the Shadows, but I I didn't bring it up because I think our conversation sort of led me away from that last episode. But I, I have felt that. So, cool. It's so brilliant, I don't have anything to say about it. Because it's, it's like it's self-evidently brilliant. If no one has anything else to say, we can move on to yet another notch in the ladder of brilliance with screaming in digital. And and now I sound like the broken record. Queensryche is fixated on this whole AI thing. We've talked about it before. We've talked about it. There was a previous song on this record where that came into play. Um, you know, the staccato rhythms, the whole nine yards. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's sort of like, I'll dare I use the potentially blasphemous phrase pseudo industrial, but it, it gets the machine point across, right? We know very clearly that this is one of their machine AI songs, but it's fascinating in the way they present the AI here as a sympathetic character. We feel badly for this AI we feel bad that they're being constrained, that they're being exploited, right? And, and that, to me, is such a phenomenal achievement to be able to elicit that kind of response over something that, you know, by all rights, should be scary and terrifying. 
I, I just, I find it to be stunningly wonderful. This is one of the reasons why I feel this album, well, one of the many, many reasons why I, I feel this album is timeless. Um, because there are lines like, freedom belongs only to those without video screens. I mean, come on. I mean, that could be written, like, right. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, and it would be very relative, uh, extremely relative. And going back to an earlier point, uh, I mean, I, I had, there are simple makeups of some of these verses that I love, and, and it gives Jeff room to be Jeff and, and just to, to give a lot of the dynamics around a lot of this stuff and to really make things unique. And this is a song that has uh, a very simple makeup in the verses. Yeah. And the keyboard pulse, just having it, a textured keyboard pulse is perfect. You have to just congratulate someone when they don't overthink something or they don't put too much in. Like, because that's what is done all too much in music and film. Um, there's just too many things going on and you can't digest it. This is a song about technical things, um, technology. So you, you almost feel like there's, there's an urge to just dump everything in the kitchen sink. But what they do is by stripping everything down and just having very, very creative spots of, of, of keyboards and Jeff just doing the right things at the right time. Uh, it really comes across perfect. And again, I use the word perfect. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of it's it's sort of ridiculous, but I mean, I, I you know, it, it really is amazing. I, I wish there was more about the making of this um, album in regards to keyboards. You know, I, I would love to pick the brain of any of these guys. And just be like, okay, what did you have in here? And how, how did you use this? And how did you use that? Because it just could not be done better. So I mean, I, I'm enamored by this song as I'm enamored by all these songs. But it's, it's, it's somehow easier to look at things when it's stripped down to like bare bones. And, the, the, and, the, and certainly the first verse gives you that. And you're able to appreciate what's going on. Because not everyone's like doing the whole dance. I'm fascinated that you want to know more about the keyboards and how they happened. And it really is Jeff playing it as far as I can tell, but we never really get, it's not like Duran Duran where Nick Rhodes is going to endorse a bunch of Roland products and tell you exactly how he used them. We, we don't know what Jeff used. It could be Roland Korg Oberheim or whatever was in the studio available to him at the time. They, they, they spared no expense in my estimation. So, you know, I was fascinated when I saw them open for Def Leppard. He had this little teeny tiny, uh, like two and a half octave looking thing on a stand that he played for Anarchy X. And who knows, it was just a controller. Who knows, you know, what kind of rack he had below the stage. But I, I, I've thought about that. It may just come down to their, they're using good sounds and they're processing the hell out of them to get these textures. 
and they actually hired a keyboardist for some of the rage dates and in in later years it's it's pretty clear that they're they're playing along with the sequence um randy gain from band myth uh was playing neil kernan and and tate's album parts oh okay so neil kernan actually did play yeah and then they used um michael kamen at various points in their later career really wow okay one of the interesting things for me about this song, you know, and, and, and I started out sort of gushing about it, but to be completely honest, Screaming in Digital for me was a bit of a slow burn. It, it wasn't, I, I never, like I said, I never didn't like it and I never skipped it, but it was only later on as I, I was so familiar with this record and I listened to it so often that I really started to figure out how brilliant this song was it was almost like initially i i took it for granted maybe as you know oh another one of their little computer songs but the more time i spent with it and the more time i sort of ruminated on the lyrics and the relation between the vocal delivery with the two different characters and the way the the music uh, you know represents all of this it, the more i came to appreciate you know, again, just how brilliant this this song is for something that at first blush, I, I just, I didn't pay nearly enough attention to. According to Heaton, uh, Screaming in Digital is a, a conversation between the father, who is the creator of the AI and the AI itself. Um, the father asserts his will over the son for the time being, uh, implying at some point the son wins out, the AI wins out over the human creator. Um, quote, the other aspect of Screaming in Digital is the connection between it and NM156 from Queensryche's previous album, The Warning. Right. There has always been debate whether Screaming in Digital is a sequel or prequel to NM156, which discusses the link between man and machine. The band has generally performed the two songs back to back when both were in the set list. Really? For instance, on the Operation Mindcrime, headline tour in 1989 and a M156 led off the show and was followed by Screaming in Digital. On the Promised Land tour, abridged versions of both were played, but in the opposite order. Ooh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> way, way to keep us on our toes, Queensryche. I like it. And then 156 has always been in my book worthy of rage for order so um yeah it, it seems like those guys were on the same page as well i mean I, I think that um that song is good enough to have been on this album and, and certainly there are common threads as well so as we move to close out this record with i will remember uh, i'll be curious ken what this what this website has to say about this because very clearly you know, this song does not sound like an AI song. However, we have very clear references in, in the second verse. There's a thought that fills your mind, a vision of time when knowledge was confined. And then we wonder how machines can steal each other's dreams from points that are unseen. It's real. So tie that in with the first verse. There's a cold wind out tonight, the chill of distant eyes, an orbit survey finds your mind. 
I think here again, there are a lot of different pieces that are being bandied about here. And you can either, I can either interpret this as they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So they're talking about everything, or this is the Rosetta stone that ties everything together. <laughs> oh, it's just such a good song. It, it, it's, and it's, it's DeGarmo it's top to bottom, even the lyrics. It, it's DeGarmo top to bottom. And it, it is, Regardless of, of what it means, right? It is one of these, it's just, it's beautiful, right? There's, there's, I, I don't have any other words to describe this song. It is just absolutely delightfully beautiful to listen to. And the fact that I can have these sort of mental gymnastic games with the lyrics, it's just, you know, gravy at that point because the, the song itself, it's, so well crafted and it's such a it's such a good sort of soft landing right to come from screaming in digital which is so intense and so crazy and just you know 40 minutes into this record and you're just like ah <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like all right that was good yeah, it, it's almost like when you're on a roller coaster, right? And you go through all the crazy stuff and you get that sort of nice glide in at the end before they stop the train and you get off. That, right. that to me is what I will remember is like, you know, you, you, you fall from a very high height, but then you get to settle in very gently. And like I said, the, the, the fact that I could play all sorts of games with these lyrics is just extra fun. Well, Joe, you, you talk about the lyrics, which um, is, is, is a big point. It's a big part of the, the beauty. But one of my notes is, I mean, how beautiful is the solo section? With yeah. These dueling sort of, I don't know if they actually are nylon strings, but I mean, it's almost like a, almost like a Spanish feel to all this. I mean, I, I'd be interested to know what actual guitars are using, but um, these sort of dueling acoustic sounds, um, I mean, that really is beautiful. Uh, and I, my my only note for that is like God, I just want to hear more of that. <laughs> I just I wish the song was like thirty seconds longer, um, but you know I guess that's a good thing to to have people wanting more. And I think that's something we talked about again last episode that we haven't really touched on, you know here. But but again, one of the things that is exceptional about Queensrÿche is is the the way that DeGarmo and Wilton share the spotlight both separately and together. And, you know, there's always a feeling of uh, harmoniousness, right? Like, you know, everyone's happy to have their time and it, you don't have, you know, that sense of, you know, we, we've joked on the palaver before about, you know, late seventies model. Yes. When, when Wakeman and Howe would be, you know, fighting each other for, for space and 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 the spotlight in in a certain regard um mm -hmm. i mean other other heavy metal bands of this of this era you know managed to pull off similar things right because the way that that degarmo and, and wilton do this i think is is really noteworthy yeah i mean these guys were um two players that really fit with their glove um i mean everything they did. I mean, it was, it was just beautiful. I mean, they they, they really did make magic. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's amazing. So when we get into next week's episode, 
I have some some quote a, a particular quote from <laughs> from from Jeff Tate that in in many ways sort of illustrates maybe why the band didn't continue <laughs> peacefully for all of eternity. Um, but when you hear that, when you hear me read that quote, you know, I hope we sort of think back and remember this particular conversation, because if we take Jeff at his word at that, this sort of you know, harmonious sharing between Wilton and DeGarmo becomes even more remarkable. Now, it could just very well be that Jeff Tate's talking out his ass, and, and we can we can explore that. But but for right now, let's just revel in in the beauty of the arrangement. And some of those later albums, like The Wall, um, and even according to Roger Waters, "Wish You Were Here" had some some problems with um, you know Roger and and Gilmore, and um, and they made magic. With, with that sort of dichotomy, that sort of abrasion that the, the two the two of them had, the two of them had there was this abrasion that that made beauty. So it actually doesn't surprise me if what you're saying is, is true about early on. Um, you know, I think that that could be. I think that's part of the game. I'm just thrilled that we finally huh. uh, we finally <laughs> got to talk about Rage for Order from my own observations the harmonious uh, particularly in this song very harmonious uh, uh nylon string sounding uh lead is just just you know wonderful and, uh, and, and appropriate and and as you say the tail end of the roller coaster they were born out of the guitar relationships in judas priest and iron maiden dual guitar solos where harmony and space was the name of the game. And before you, you know, had uh, looper pedals, you needed two guys to do all this stuff anyway. <laughs> um, it was the beauty of it all. Uh, but yes, to answer your question, uh, I will remember from a lyrical perspective, I will remember is a perfect follow-up to Screaming and Digital. It's not that the songs are linked, but I will remember focuses very clearly references sat satellite technology. Distant eyes, orbit survey finds your mind. Uh, the star that came tonight and knowing star are pretty direct references to satellite technology. Star. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, that's what you've got. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm always thrilled to get to this point in the album. Yeah. I, I think it's so, so fantastic. And I'm, I'm thrilled that to finally get to this point in the palaver because I mean again we've been doing this for what f almost five years yeah it's just but for the the entire time we've been doing this as we mentioned at the top of this episode I have wanted to talk about this record and I'm I'm glad we did I think we I think we did it justice uh, Ken to your point it was it was easy right this was with the exception maybe of, of digging around for some of the lore and things that we didn't normally have in terms of my thoughts and feelings and, and reflections on these songs. It's, it's, it's hard ingrained in me at this point because I've been listening to this album in depth for so long. It's just, it's part of me at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, this album has always been like an out of body experience when I listen to it. 
So actually thinking about some of the stuff was interesting. Like actually putting it into words why I like it was was actually quite remarkable because this was a, a really special uh, album to to listen to that you that you that I have always found very hard to put into words. So uh, I'm glad we did it. I want to thank you guys for um, working around my sort of weird schedule. I know you guys were extremely patient. Um, I, I really did want to talk about this album. Um, so thanks for um, putting up with my weird schedules, but um, this has been, this was worth it. Very, very sorry that um, Paul could not be with us tonight to finish this out, but um, he certainly was, was here with us in spirit and, and, you know, we can give him, you know, a few minutes at the top of the next episode, if he has something very specific he wants to share, but that being said, as excited as I was to cover this album, I will say something maybe shocking in that I am even more excited to talk about the next one, which is not something I ever thought I would say. Um, <laughs> but but from, from a very selfish <laughs> podcaster perspective, I think there, there's just mind crime sort of lends itself to certainly you know, my portion of the palaver. And so I'm just totally geeked out and, and on the edge of my seat. But I, I certainly appreciate, you know, you gentlemen, you know, putting in this effort and, and taking this time and, and really helping us explore an album that had such a big role in, in our musical development. So as always, thank you, gentlemen. Excellent. I'm going to give a shout out to friend of the flavor, Bill Kimmler. Uh, he commented on one of our episodes uh, while recovering from donating a kidney. Wow. I, 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 the year's only begun, and I declared him number one flavor fan of 2022. I, I don't think there's a contest at this point. <laughs> oh. I wish we had a mug to send him at this point, but maybe we'll find something. <laughs> Anything. Yes. Awesome. Well, Bill, well, I, um, I, uh, I hope he continues to do well and to heal and to, and to do better. And that's, I, I hope he does well with that. Yeah. That's, that's exceptionally admirable, Bill. And, uh, you know, our, our hats off to you and you know i we hope that the, the whole thing goes well um you know so that that that's exceptional all right so that brings us to the end gentlemen until next week when we talk and maybe this will be the last time we tell the story of tom coming in to cb west in the morning with operation mind <laughs> <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions regarding Queensryche, Rage for Order, or anything Queensryche, or faulty German translations, whatever the case may be. You can reach us on um, 
Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Do it, Tom. Say, no one can hear when you're screaming in digital. You're still you're still silent, Tom. In other words, Tom, you're Tom, you are screaming in digital. Yeah, Tom is screaming in digital. <laughs> 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 <laughs>